Uh, Janet shared with us from Ephesians 2 that this is where we are in our journey. Uh, I'm thrilled that we were able to cover the entire 13 chapters of Hebrews last year. Now we're in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and Janet covered verses 18, uh, 11 through 18, and shared with us about the significance of both the Jewish people and the Gentiles being made one in Christ Jesus. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. You know what's amazing? Most all of us have no idea of how great that divide was between Jew and Gentile. And how significant it was for Jesus to make these two hostile groups of people united in himself. But now that we know that we are grafted in to the Jewish heritage in Christ, to the old covenant now into a renewed new covenant, let me wish all of you Chag Sukkot Sameach. What is that? It's Happy Feast of Tabernacles holiday. There we go. Amen. Happy Feast of Tabernacles. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Well, let me begin this morning by looking at some of the recent feasts of the Lord. Not Jewish feasts. The Bible says they're feasts of the Lord. And the one that we are in right now, on September 19th, we began a Jewish New Year celebration with Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. Here's the first slide. Now, that's not me. <laughs> but that is a friend of mine, and he took this picture. It's not 5774. This actually was seven years ago, so I'm cheating a little. But this used to be my view of the first three years that I lived in Jerusalem. I had that view. And that's a friend, and he's blowing the shofar because this was Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Sound the alarm. And when we had, immediately after that, we had 10 days of searching our hearts. It's called the Days of Awe in which we search our hearts and our lives concerning every area of sin, wrongdoing and the lack of right doing, and every area of compromise. And then at the end of the 10 days, we saw that great gathering called the return. This was a week ago, Friday and Saturday. And as we asked last week, how many of you saw that and watched it on television? Uh, almost half. That's wonderful. That took place in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with a host of Christians gathered on the National Mall. Look at this. If we would have all gone there, next slide, please. This is what it looked like. I'll tell you, that's church, big time. Imagine the worship, what it must have sounded like, the songs that were sung. Yeah, amazing. The Feast of Tabernacles, that's the next one. There we had 75,000 to 100,000 believers. But on Monday, September 28th, we also had Yom Kippur. And I think it's strategic 
that our annual staff retreat was held last weekend and we started on the eve of Yom Kippur. Last Sunday night and all day Monday, the staff gathered together in Salado at Summers Mill Retreat Center. And I tell you, the spirit of the Lord came upon us in a marvelous way. And a fresh direction has been given to Highland. And we're going to be moving into this new biblical year, into a whole new revelation of saying, Lord, pour out your vision for personal, intentional disciple making. <laughs> yes, amen. It's exciting. Needless to say, Janet and I were very excited. So this week, starting this past Friday night, just two days ago, we began celebrating Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why we say Hag Sameach. Hag Sameach. For 26 years, my living in Israel, we said this all the time at all the feasts. Hag Sameach. Or Happy Holidays. And this feast is celebrated by sleeping and eating in tents or booths for an entire week. And just as the Israelis did in the wilderness. Now, this is our little sukkah that we put in our little yard in Jerusalem. So I'm going back seven years before. There was the, actually, this was the fall just before we moved here to Waco in December. We had meals out there. We uh, would be out there at night. It says the only ceiling that you can have are palm branches so that you can see the stars and realize how you are only a sojourner. You're only a pilgrim passing through. That everything here is temporary. And this yearly reminder has people live in those, if they choose. We only had our meals. We cheated a little. But it was wonderful and, and a renewing of a biblical feast of reminder, simple living is where it's at. Don't get too attached to the things in this world. Now, some people make their sukkah very elaborate, like these friends of ours that invite us over for a meal. That's an elaborate sukkah. I'll tell you, I went in there for the first five minutes. I said, don't anyone talk. I just want to look. But it was beautiful. We had a wonderful meal with them, great celebration. And unfortunately, that brother's no longer with us. He passed to be with the Lord last year. But he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. So, these feasts are very foreign to the church today. But that's where we are in our journey of becoming a one new man in Christ. So, let's resume our study by looking at the scriptures from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. I want to read all three of these verses all four of these verses, and then I want to expound upon them individually. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together 
for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's pray again. Lord, we just welcome you in this place today. Lord, we just looked at our little sukkah tent that we had in Jerusalem. We welcomed your presence every time we set foot in there. And Lord, we do the same right here in Waco, Texas on this campus. We welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. A dwelling place of God in the Spirit is what we just read. And Lord, we're still in this season of celebration, sounding an alarm. Awakening and arising God's people. So, Lord, I pray that you would give great grace upon our ability to recognize your voice above all other voices in what we hear shared from your word this morning. So, Lord, as always, I, I sound the alarm. I, I blow the trumpet in Zion. I sound the alarm on your holy mountain. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear as easy as we can hear the sound of this horn. I pray we'd even in a greater way hear the sound of your voice this morning. Father, you are welcome in this place. Jesus, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Oh, God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, we adore you this morning. And Lord, I pray that the rest of these days of celebration, this Feast of Tabernacles, where God comes in tabernacles among men. Lord, this is the one feast that Jesus has yet to fulfill, where God comes to the earth to tabernacle among its inhabitants. So Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to that day. Come now, Lord. Speak by your spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Somebody has a talking machine that goes on and off every once in a while. Praise the Lord for silencers on phones. First, let me give you a little recap. A little recap of last week when Janet shared. I just looked down at verses 17 and 18 in Ephesians 2. The Jewish people were near to God because because of the covenant of circumcision, and they knew God through the scriptures, and they worshiped him in the midst of their religious ceremonies. The Gentiles, however, were far away from God because they were pagan, and they knew little or nothing about the God of Israel. And neither group could be saved by their good deeds or their knowledge because both needed and still do need today the salvation that's provided only through Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. And earlier in verse 13, Paul assured the Gentile believers that they were brought near 
to God because of Jesus. Now, let's look at verse 19 again. Now, therefore, you, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens of God's kingdom and members of his royal family. Praise the Lord. This Greek word for foreigner is a combination of two words that actually mean dwelling near, dwelling near. And this Greek word is referred to as aliens who dwelt as sojourners in a land without rights of citizenship. And we see this in Acts chapter 7, verses 6 and 9. The same word is describing our father Abraham and the lawgiver Moses as sojourners in a land that was not their own. And it is used here in this, in this verse 19 to point to us, we who are in Christ. Now here's the truth. We are temporary residents. Passing through this world because our true citizenship and residence are in heaven. I thought it would probably only be Joe that would amen that one. But you know, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, the apostle Peter says the exact same thing. Listen, you're only passing through. This is temporary. Your nice houses, your nice cars, everything is all passing away. But it's amazing how fully we can enjoy what we can put our hands on, what we live in now, rather than what we're going to be living in eternity. Well, here's the bottom line. Friends, we are all foreigners. Not just those from other nations. We are all aliens on planet Earth. Verse 20. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the chief cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now, as most of you know, God's household is not a building, but a group of people. We are his house and the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? Well, it means that the church is not built on ideas or programs but on the rich spiritual heritage and the solid doctrine that has been written down and then given to us by the apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament and the early church. They were the capital A apostles and capital P prophets. And God has appointed apostles and and prophets among his people today. I should have heard an amen over here. (laughs) Today, God has appointed apostles and prophets, but they do not have the ecclesiastical authority that the capital A apostles and capital P prophets had in the early church. Because the prophets of old and the apostles of Jesus established our foundational beliefs. Now, let's turn to Ephesians 4. Just for a moment, I want us to just see this. We'll get to it further when we cover chapter 4 in the weeks to come. 
Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, and he, referring to Jesus, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. So the fivefold ministry people gifts have been needed throughout all church history for the equipping, for the training, and the releasing of God's people into service. Amen. We still need that today. Yes, now, why didn't I get a strong amen? amen? I'll tell you why. Because that too is foreign hearing to the church by and large today. It's foreign. But we're going to look more into this when we get to chapter 4. I'm not going to get into that today. Verse 21, back in Ephesians 2. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us individually, and he lives in us corporately. And he shows himself through us to a lost and dying world. But what makes us distinct from the world is our strong and committed love for God and for each other. That's what separates us from the world. And Jesus made this very clear in John 13. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus gave us a new commandment. A new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. There's nothing new about that. He went on to say, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. And the confirming truth of 1 John 3, 18 is eternal. He says, my little children, I don't care if we are 18 or 118. From God's perspective, we're all little children. And if you notice, the older we get, the more childlike we become again. And some things start repeating. <laughs> My little children, let us not love one another in word. Hey, I love you, brother. Or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Indeed and in truth. You know, years ago, I learned from the Navigator's ministry that love can only be known by the action it produces. Love can only be known, really known, by the action that it produces. That's why that scripture is so powerful. We are encouraged, we are commanded to love one another in action. 
that produces fruit. All right, let's go to chapter 3. Ephesians 3. I'm going to read the first seven verses, and I really liked the New Living Translation, the second edition, so I'm going to read from that. I think it personalizes it in a rich way. Starting in verse 1, chapter 3, 1, where we're in the journey of Ephesians. Starting in verse 1, when I think of this, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. And as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Messiah Jesus. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. When Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome for preaching about Jesus. Hmm. The religious leaders in Jerusalem felt threatened by the teachings, not only of Jesus, but now of the next generation of believers. They were threatened by the teachings of, of Jesus and now Paul. And they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. So they pressured the Romans to arrest Paul. And they were trying him for treason and causing rebellion among the Jewish people. Paul had uh, appealed for his case to be heard by the emperor. And now, after having been sent to Rome, he is awaiting his trial. Even though he was under house arrest, this is what's so amazing about this man. Paul maintained his firm belief that God was totally in control of all his circumstances. Amen. Totally. He had a peace that surpasses natural understanding. That's a great reminder for us today with so many intense situations in our world. Do circumstances make you wonder if God has lost control? Do your circumstances cause you to question God's love and his sovereignty? Friends, I want to share three truths that we must believe as God's covenant people. They're very simple. First truth, he is all loving. Everything God does is motivated out of his heart of love. Everything. 
everything. God is love. Amen. There's no other description of God that's that simple. God is love. Everything is motivated out of his heart of love. Second, that God is all wise. He's all. He's the essence of wisdom. And you know what? He never, ever makes a mistake. Ever. He never makes a mistake. Oh, oh I, look what. Never. Never. Never makes a mistake. But he can change his mind. He's all loving. He's all wise. And he is all mighty. He is all mighty. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over everything. He is over all. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing. He knows every thought of every human on the entire planet. It's, a, it's beyond miraculous that he could know every thought in Joy Inslee. In fact, sometimes she has a hard time thinking about all those thoughts. I mean, what a God we serve. He knows everything about everyone all the time. He's seeing our hearts and our thoughts in this room as well as in the life center, as well as in the nursery, as well as in Cleveland or Fort Worth. I mean, this is mind-blowing how great our God is. He is almighty, almighty. Now, we can say these truths this way. In his love, God always wants what is best, always. In his wisdom, he knows what is best, always. And in his power, he is able to bring it about. In his love, God always wants what is best. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his power, he's able to bring it about. God had a special responsibility. He had a special stewardship that was entrusted to him. He had been assigned the work of preaching the good news to Gentiles. What an amazing calling for a Jewish rabbi to have a desire to preach to the pagan world. Absolutely amazing. And this plan was shown to Paul. I'll tell you, it would not have been by word of mouth. It was a divine revelation and impacting by God for this mission. And we can see that in verse 3. Yet God had made it known through the prophet Isaiah that the Gentiles would receive salvation at some time. Isaiah prophesied years before Jesus was born in Isaiah 49. Let's turn there. Keep your finger on Ephesians and let's go. <coughs> Excuse me. To Isaiah 49. Well, I want to look at two verses. Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. Here the capital P prophet 
foretold about the Messiah that was to come to the Jewish people, to the tribes of Jacob. And he writes this. Now this is what the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. Think of Jesus. I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, the Lord says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This scripture is so absolutely amazing. How perfect that the name of God's own son would be called Yeshua in Hebrew, and the word means salvation. Absolutely amazing. The detailed plan of God to send his son and to name him. What's your name, salvation? That's it. He grew up with that. Come here, salvation. I, I, where did salvation go? Oh, he's out there under a tree. I, this is what they heard all the time. We hear Jesus, they heard salvation. Salvation! Time for dinner! All his life, this is what he heard. People were calling out salvation, looking at him. Wow. That's why his name was not easy for Jews to grasp, even to this day. All throughout our years in Israel, unbelieving Jews do not call Jesus by his original name, Yeshua. They can't, they can't say it. They come up with a, a, a derogatory term. Rather than salvation, they can't say salvation. They go, Sal. You know, Sal. Yeah, Sal. Oh, he's talking about Sal. And they all know that when someone just says, Yeshua, it's a derogatory term because they cannot say the name. Because that name, that name is the name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that this one whose name is Yeshua salvation, every knee's going to bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Who Adonai? He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if I get a little excited, it's because I am. Yeshua is coming. Now, what a shock to these Jewish people in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, who had been the only chosen people. But now in this Yeshua, all Gentiles and all Jews are invited to become part of the body of Messiah united in him. Wow. But you know, Jesus had to die to make this a reality. 
And if you and I are ever to become the one new man, the one united people to the world, we too will need to die. Die to ourselves. Die to our rights. Die to our preferences, our comfort. Everything that is self-related, it needs to be transferred into a kingdom of light. It's all about him. It's not about us. Amen. We'll need to lay down our lives in love in order to build unity with one another. Do you know that it's impossible, absolutely impossible for any of us to love like Jesus loved Amen. without the Holy Spirit's help. And the helper wants to show us how to lay down our lives for one another that he might be seen and glorified and the love of Christ established in our midst. Look at how they love one another. By this, this, loving as Jesus loved, by this all men will know you're my disciples. Look at the way they love one another. <sighs> Our death to self-will and self-love. You know what it is? It's the narrow gate that leads to the perfect will of God and the love of God being released in our lives. Father, this is an amazing challenge before us to actually become the love of God on planet Earth. Wow. Father, we need help. We need lots of help. Thank you that Holy Spirit is not limited. We need the helper, Holy Spirit, to help us become everything that you, Father, have destined for us. The eternal purposes that are in your heart, the divine decrees. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uniting Jew and Gentile. It's absolutely astounding. All of heaven must have been shocked that not only all Jews can become priests of God, a holy royal nation, but also Gentiles. In Christ, there is an entirely new creation that takes place. All things become new. The old has passed away. A new man has arisen. And Lord, I pray that you give all of us a desire, a fresh desire in this Feast of Tabernacles time to want to walk through the straight and to the narrow gate. Lord, it's a tight squeeze. At times, it feels as though we're being like a tube of toothpaste, that everything's being squeezed out. But Lord, you want all of the self-love, all of the self-desires, all the thoughts about me to be transformed by your love that we really want everything to be about you. So Lord, we thank you for 
this feast that we're right in the, in the front end of the feast. It just started Friday night, Lord. It's eight days of celebration. Eight days of reminders of temporary dwellings. And Lord, I pray that when we all go home today and we look around and we just see how incredibly blessed we are that we have taken so much for granted. Lord, thank you for running water. Thank you for indoor toilets. Thank, thank, you, thank you for the way in which you have provided for each one of us. But this is not our home. Amen. It's not, Lord. And God, we need help with that thought. We need help with that revelation. We still have, it's ours, it's mine, it's, it's his or it's hers. Lord, we still have that possessive mentality of this world. But this scripture is just saying, listen, you're strangers and you're foreigners to everything of this world. You're not strangers or foreigners to the people of God, but you are to everything that's earthly. So Jesus, we welcome your name, Yeshua. Save us, O oh God. Save us, O oh God. Save us, O oh God, from the world that has multiple tentacles that want to keep us here forever. Want to have a hold on us, to have worldly thoughts. Lord, we just pray that an ax would be laid to the root of those tentacles this morning in Jesus' name that we could be free in the salvation that's been given to us to really become the entirely brand new creation that was in your heart's desire and design from the moment we said fully yes to Jesus. So create in us clean and pure hearts, renew right spirits within us, and may we be people that proclaim the goodness of God by loving one another and laying our lives down for each other so that Jesus can be witnessed and we can be recognized as your disciples. Grant this, Father, I pray, to the glory and to the majesty of Jesus whom we love, Jesus whom we celebrate. Jesus, Jesus, who is everything. Amen. Amen.